0: This is uh, the American Israelite newspaper podcast, "Let There Be Light" podcast, and I am one of your hosts, your co- one of your co-hosts, uh, Ted Deutsch, and I am here with my other co-host, Julie Babs bernson Brooke, uh, affectionately known as Babs. <laughs> um, and um, I do want to straighten one thing out from last week. I said that the uh, the five books of Moses were the Pentateuch, and I was actually incorrect. It's the Pentateuch. Okay. Pentateuch. Pentatook,
1: <laughs> Pentatook. You didn't get that hook down?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was straightened out by my lovely and brilliant wife, who said, "You know, of course, I don't know what I'm talking about as usual." But well,
2: know, did we tell everyone that today is Wednesday, February third, and tomorrow when the issue comes out, it's going to be Wednesday third. Thursday, uh, February fourth.
0: Yes,
1: and yes. today
2: is the twenty-first of Shavat, fifty-seven eighty-one, okay. and tomorrow will be the twenty-second of Shavat, fifty-seven eighty-one.
0: So I, I'm kind of like all for today because I I went to this auto. I go to this auto auction every every other Wednesday down at the OKI Auto Auction, and I bought a car this morning, and so I was like all excited, and you know you're bidding, and you know you're bidding, and I've got a, a two thousand and six. Uh, Honda CRV.
2: Well, Mazel Tov on your new car. Now we both have new
0: cars. Well, yours is like a 2021. It's a 20. Okay.
2: I actually, today I go and pick up my license plates.
0: Okay, so this is a 2006 with 179,000, but it's in excellent condition. I mean, is it white? Th- All your cars are white. This is actually silver. So okay. this will be actually the Silver Bullet Two. Okay. Uh, also affectionately known as a Silver Bullet, but uh, yeah, no, I I wanted a four wheel drive for the winter to drive around the winter. And uh, the, the wife is using the other Silver Bullet, so Silver Bullet 1, uh, because of her foot. And she's got to drive. She can't drive a five-speed, so she's got to drive an automatic. So she's using the uh, the, uh, the other Silver Bullet.
2: And how and do you so, pick which car? Because you have so many cars. Which car are you going to drive in well, the morning? Well, I'm going
0: to drive the CRV all the time. And then uh, if she's going to drive the other car, then I'll just let her drive that car for a while until her foot is okay. And then... Because she can't, you know, she, you got to, you know, do the shifting of the gears with the, with the clutch. Yeah. So it's kind of hard with a big air cast on your foot. Wow. Um, I hope she
2: heals quickly.
0: Well, she's, we're about, I guess maybe about three weeks in now. I think next week they, they take, they do the x-rays and see if everything's, you know, um, coming together and yeah. everything. So let's get started on the news.
2: Well, this week's top story is about New Riff Bourbon, and I actually heard about that the first time when I was listening to Jewish Drinking with Rab- our, you know, Rabbi Drew Kaplan that we right. hope to have back on again for Purim.
1: Right. Um, so
2: New Riff is actually started by Ken Lewis, right, right? and he was the owner of Party City down... No, no, the
0: Party Source.
2: Party Source, across just across the river in Kentucky. And it's right. interesting, when he... When he sold that business in 2014, he he sold it to his employees, and it became a employee stock uh, company where it was employee owned. And um, the reason he did that was because when he sold another company of his uh, into Liqu- liquor outlets and liquor out, I can't talk this morning. Liquor outlets in Louisville, he didn't like the way his employees were being treated by the people that purchased the company. So he decided this time, when he was ready to retire, he was going to sell that company to, back to his employees. So we wish, that, you know, we know they're doing well, but we also like to talk about this new Riff Bourbon. Um, okay,
0: so, you know, the party source is, I go there a lot to get cigars. Okay, because well, across the border, yeah. It's, it's right next to new Riff Bourbon, and so what they're going to do is on, um, let's see, what is the date of this? I think it's it's uh, on March 4th at 7 o'clock. There's going to be a virtual uh, tasting, and then how to make drinks. They're going to have a mixologist there and how to mix up, you know, how to use the bourbon and how to use the rye and all this kind of stuff. And um, so you have to sign up now. This is going to be very, very popular. I mean, very, there's going to be well, it's a lot of to be of like
2: people. that, that uh, other one, the, the food one that came through, the ish one. It's going to be the same idea.
0: Same, exactly. Uh, this is, it's $25, and they send you, a you know, like a little gift basket or whatever, a gift box to your house, and um, then you get very different bourbons and stuff like that. And then you go Zoom online and do a virtual um, tasting and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's very interesting. You know,
2: for me, I think all liquor tastes exactly the same. Like, you know, I, I know the difference between I don't like...
0: Li- yeah, I'm not a big... I I'm, don't know wines.
2: You. I don't know beers. I don't know... But it, you know, something is fun. This is fun to do while you're isolating.
0: Well, I'll tell you, there is a... You know, like if you ever drink a Heineken, Heineken tastes totally different than like but, you know, like if you drink Budweiser or Bush or Coors, they all have the same kind of beer taste. The beer taste. Heineken tastes totally different. And I'll tell you, if you want to try another beer, uh, Guinness. Okay. Guinness is this, like, a thick. Dark, Isn't really it thick. thick. Yeah, yeah, that tastes totally different, too. If you want to try, try a Heineken and, like, a Guinness, like, they have, a, at Costco, your favorite store, yeah. our favorite store, they have Very, Heineken out there. Yeah, and, and we Guinness, have some at home. They have Guinness on tap, and it, that that stuff actually is pretty tasty. It's yeah, my tasty. boys
2: and Barry love beer, so yeah, you know, yeah. and Melissa loves beer too. She is yeah. a beer drinker, yeah. but um, you know, yeah, i and sometimes you know I'll drink right. a, a little sip of berries here and there, but right. uh, once in a while, you know, wine, manischewitz, that's my thing. I, as I'm making Friday night dinner, I always I have a pre-party because I. It's I pour it into cups. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. When I went to overnight camp, they let us have uh, manishevitz on Friday night at Olin's, sang it uh, in uh, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and we used to have the best time. And of course, as we got older, we learned to find the bottles. And, you know, we'd have a, you know, you'd, you'd have one drink well, when you're like a kid.
0: Manischewitz is like this really sweet, oh, sugary, th- syrupy wine. It's, it's, it's delicious. Oh, you, <laughs> that's, that's a disgusting.
2: A pizza and some Manischewitz. Oh, your goodness gracious. Anyway, well, speaking of camp, you know, next week is the yes. kids, um, kids' kids', in kids in summer, and summer camp issue. Camp. So, issues. so well, uh, we hope we have a special guest that's going to come in and talk about a, a, some sort of a... A camp experience, a summer experience of some sort. We'd love to have a special guest. So, or
0: or or maybe Cincy Journeys. We're Cincy trying, Journeys, we're, we're yeah, that about Cincy also Journeys because they set up all these pe- kids to go to, go to, to camp. camp. Right. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out is now is the time when P- when the parents are picking the summer camp, like you know January, February. And that's when they're kind of picking, it. so that's why we do it early in right. the year. Oh, you you know, so some
2: camps you have to do a year in advance. I'm yes. sure there's some kids that are already signed up. Probably. But I actually got something from the Cincinnati Nature Center saying that they're uh-huh. ready, getting oh. ready for for summer camp now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. okay.
0: Um, well, I'm I'm actually I haven't been out to the nature center in a while. I need to go back. We need to go back out well, look there.
2: Look at the weather, God. This. A
0: little snowy now. But yeah, um, yeah. also,
2: JVS has these great scholarships for yes. professional training, college, short term vocational training. You should look into HILB if you're thinking about going further on. So, to the, school. yeah, the,
0: we should. The HILB Scholarship Fund was set up, this is going back in, I think, 1955, and uh, was set up by the HILBs. Um, so that Gus HILB, um, and uh, actually, was in honor of his parents, Manis and Yetta HILB, so that people could go to college and, you know, continue their college and not have to, you know, one of the big things about going to is worrying about money, who's going to pay for it. So this kind of helps people out so that they can focus on their studies. And right. actually, there's a couple of stories here in the article about people focusing on their studies and not worrying about, you know, how to pay for the next My semester. My neighbor,
2: when I lived on Oak Ridge Court, she went on a, to law school on the HILB scholarship. So wow. I know there are people Oh, that's that, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and she fantastic. became a lawyer with the IRS. So Just contact
0: uh, JVS Career Services about the HILB scholarship, and that's open, I believe, until uh, May, May 1st of this year for next year. So contact them. And then on uh, we go to the Orthodox page.
2: Well, there is a great article by <laughs> Rabbi Gershon Abson. You know the cicadas are coming. So the first summer that I not the first summer I moved in, but the next summer that I lived here in Cincinnati. Well, I was
0: like thirty-four, so seventeen years, so two c- two cycles ago. I've
2: been in Cincinnati now for two cycles. It right, was the first. Right, I mean, right. I remember not only was the heat oppressive in yes. Cincinnati, Ohio, oh, oh. oppressive, 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 yeah. but there were cicadas everywhere. Yeah,
0: they they were there. It's they were, I you was just like, in to like uh, when, you're, when you go, like, when you were out, remember, you would go out for a walk just at the <laughs> park, and you there would be, like, just like a, a column of them on, like, the trees. Right. And then there'd be, like, a ton of them, like, just.
2: And the noise, all by, the noise uh, level. So, anyway, so this article talks about that. It talks yes, about when yes, he yes. first moved here in 2006, there was the kid now. When in 2006, depri- we had just where
0: he, where he grew up, there wasn't no and because so in the
2: city there isn't because there isn't that, that sort of trees. I mean, they, they do yeah. have cicadas, but because of the it's amount of trees many. in a right, suburban right. area right. or even you know a, a farming area, right. is a whole different thing. But it's, so right, in 2006, here, when he moved here. here, now in 2006, we had just moved into our new house, so the ground had been shook up and yeah, dug, yeah. so we didn't have as many cicadas. Uh, but I mean, there'll be a lot this year, so I just realized I just heard from friends about this because people who are having outdoor weddings are now first they had to cancel them Uh, then they're rescheduling them and now there's the issue of the cicadas so he talks about the cicadas and how he couldn't believe about the cicadas and he gets here and he said then he decided to go and look and find out about cicadas you know in Mm -hmm. the in the talmud and he said that there is a section about the cicadas and um It's interesting. He says that the the sages taught in Barit that one who traps locusts, cicadas, hornets, or mosquitoes on Shabbat is liable. I don't know what does that mean. That they're I mean, liable. you're
0: not. That would be it. Would be considered muksa. You can't. You can't do it. It's muksa. Uh, it would be considered work or so, working.
2: But what happens if they're disturbing your Shabbat or they fall in, you
0: know they're <laughs> making noise? That you can That's a natural a function of the natural world. So we can't really control that. Um, so it's, like running, it's like a raccoon running, it's like a deer running across your yard or or running into your, you know, feeder, or, you know, or a squirrel or, you know, you can't, we can't control that stuff.
2: So, uh, well, Rabbi Gershon, our uh, talks about this, but he also right. says now and then, again, I mentioned earlier, the noise of the cicada. when you They hear the are lot. really,
0: really loud. So especially he said, it, it, but you know what, I don't think that at night you hear them as much. I think, I think it's it, the well, day. At, it, during the day, at night, they think they kind of don't, you don't hear them as much. But I remember with their little orange, little, remember those orange beady eyes? Yeah, they're
2: ugly. They're stuff. just, they're like just, they they're frigging ugly eyes. too.
1: But you know, so he
2: talks about how here these cicadas are like incarcerated for 17 years <laughs> and they get to come out for six weeks only and they still sing. Yes, and so when yes. we hear the cicadas, we should think of them in terms of here were these creatures that have been. Held underground for 17 years, they come out and they still sing. Now, truthfully, they're singing for their mates, but you
0: know, yes, yes. But well, they're what singing. I mean also is interesting because they 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 hatch. Okay, so they they mate and then the eggs fall down or they're on 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 leaves and then they hatch and they crawl down into, into the-, the ground and they live on tree roots from the you know the uh, the the moisture from the tree roots. And that's what sustains them for seventeen years, and then yeah. they come back up. So it's this just so—it's it. such a weird thing. I mean, it's just—it's so strange, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's like clockwork. And the, this year is going to be—people are going be to talk, be talking. Everybody is going to be talking about the cicadas. Wait, like two months from now, there be the cicada mania.
2: Right. We, we so can maybe forget about. We should COVID. have
0: like a cicada show. We
2: could talk we could. about the
0: cicadas and uh, on the show because it's going to be—you'll be able to hear them out here because they're probably in this this. Uh, this, well, you have trees green. out here, yeah. yeah. We have so green. anyway, he
2: ends this this article, which I really highly recommend. He said, very soon with the coming of the Mashiach, and we thought the Mashiach was coming, we don't know for <laughs> sure, but we you know we will rise yeah. and sing the song of praise in the rebuilt temple, and may that be speedy in our days." So it's a great article, great article. Right. Um, you wanted to talk about the statistics. Yes,
0: yes. So uh, below that, there is an article on statistics from the American-Israelite death notices and I wanted to tell people that this is actually not news. This is in the news section, but it really isn't news. It's actually an opinion piece. Okay. And I am going to do a correction next week that it should have been on an opinion page. So it's got
2: more subjective information than objective. Although there is an objective, there is an objective numbers there. Those are objective.
0: Right. But we can't. I think it's a stretch to say that all these additional deaths in the past year are from COVID. I don't think that it's been proven yet. Maybe after we know all the death certificates and we do the research, then we can say for sure that it was COVID. But in the meantime, it's really just a, uh, it's an opinion and it yeah. should be an opinion piece. It should be labeled as such, and that was I made the mistake of doing that. So you know, uh,
2: Barry always tells the joke. You know, because it seems like they say men, you know, are dying die faster than women, and and Barry will say, well, you know, why Jewish men die? You know, because
0: they want to. They want to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> so we should find out if these yes, are more yes. men or women. Yes, yes. You know, during COVID, women are are stick a home with these <laughs> men that normally are not home. So mm-hmm. maybe the women are saying, I can't take anymore.
0: I can't take. Anyway, uh, so uh, in, inter- in national news, uh, Saved by the Bell star Dustin Diamond died at 44.
2: Yeah, he had lung cancer. They oh. just recently announced. You know, lung cancer can kill pretty quickly if it's not caught early, and it's very symptom-free.
0: Now, did he? Was he? Was he? A, I mean, he, was he a smoker or not a smoker? Um,
2: I I don't know if he was a smoker. That you can get lung cancer without smoking. You can get it from a you know radon in your house. You can get it from all sorts of environmental toxins. It can be genetic. Um, okay. It is. Okay. It's on the same family as some of the BRCA genes.
0: Well, some of those uh, cancers, like prostate and. Uh, What's pancreas? Yes, and brain, any kind of brain cancer. They're they're very. They're, they're like, fast. They're very fast. They're very fast. Well, it's sad. So may his, his memory mem- be for a blessing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So um,
2: there's a lot of really good there stories really are, in here. Yeah, there's some and good stories. And we would encourage you to go through and check out the different stories. From both local, national, and international. Because
0: we only do a smattering of these. We just do a smattering of them. We want you to actually go read the paper, either online or in person, with a physical copy. Um, On uh, page
2: 11, our Kathy Sachs Hollander has two beautiful weddings that happened during COVID. One of them I actually attended via Zoom. Okay. The wedding of Thomas Noya and Marissa Ellison. So Marissa Ellison is the daughter of Dr. Susan Bernstein, may her memory be a blessing, and Richard Ellison, and the granddaughter of the late Dr. Leonard and Miriam Bernstein, and Barbara and Bob Ellison. And so Marissa is a very good friend of my daughter Melissa's, and Marissa met Thomas when he was in New York visiting from London. He's a student. He's actually on a second or third degree um, in education, and she's a fashion stylist that's doing extremely well in New York City, even during covid she has an Instagram account that's amazing. But they had this beautiful wedding in her brother's backyard, Joel. Uh, Joel's a psychiatrist, I believe, at University Hi. of Cincinnati. And uh, everyone else was on Zoom other than the few immediate family that they have here. And it was a very, very beautiful wedding. They're very happy. He's going to be working on getting coming over from London. They've been able to see each other when things are lifted with COVID. Um, it was a, a beautiful wedding. She made a beautiful bride, and we wish them Well. Um, And then the second wedding was Anne and Bedyanev. And Anna is the daughter of... Uh, the Beckers in town.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, and John and Lonnie.
2: John and Lonnie. And actually, I ran into Lonnie Becker in October at a po- certain political event that ha- was held in Amberley on the corner where we shook these cardboard signs.
0: And I think John Becker is a Wanted Hills 74.
2: And he's an architect. And he actually. I think he's He's an architect for our first home. I think so. So, our first house Water that Hills. we built, and we followed the same design on our second house, but he's an architect. So, they had they had a different wedding that was scheduled and um they had to change it and they ended up getting married in September and she actually showed me the mask so that's a beautiful wedding in a backyard there and you see we can we can manage during COVID we can do a lot of things there creative and have these beautiful not with a
0: lot of people though but you know the, the immediate family
2: so they live in Dayton now and Anna is a licensed social worker working at Dayton Children's Hospital and Ben is a medical student at Wright State Medical College wonderful and we are going to get ready now after we look at the beautiful Jewish Family Service pictures at the that happened at Adith Israel. I was there, and um, you can look at those pictures.
0: We're just we're getting caught up, and finally, we're almost to the point of running out of photos.
2: Well, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. So we need more photos sent in. But in the meantime, on page 13... They talked about we're it's talking about last week's episode with right. the stay planning, and I right. have gotten a tremendous amount of positive response on that. And people said it was very interesting right. that uh, both Michael well, and, and well, Daniel yeah. had a lot to offer and say. Um,
0: well, it's 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 important. I mean, uh, we all need to be prepared for what's going to happen. Right, right. And, and you don't know, and you really don't know what's going to happen. So uh, you should be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. So. Right. All right, so and uh, then we
2: have Alma's Kitchen, which right. is a kosher Indian food.
0: Right, right. and our uh, write up of the week. Yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
2: and we are going to take a break right now and get okay. ready for our very first interview with Rabbi Benjamin Scheidel, who's going to give us a tra- travel log of Southern Jewish life. Okay, so we'll be back. <laughs> Okay, so I'd like to welcome everyone back as we have our special guest, the associate rabbi at Adith Israel, Rabbi Benjamin Scheidel. And he is here to tell us about his experiences, both traveling the South as a Jew and and also his experiences in Israel and how they come together
0: you had to back up. Now this week was supposed to be the travel issue.
2: Oh, that's right. This is and, the Israelite like traveling, issue, which is right. why it we're doing a travel log of we didn't
0: have that much travel uh, stories <laughs> in this
2: week. Cuz no one's traveling. How why is no one traveling? Oh, I think exactly. we have covid. You know, we exactly, have covid. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> so Rabbi, yeah, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. How you ended up at the Institute for Southern Jewish Life and, you know, what led you there and how you ended up in Cincinnati, a quick
3: little background sure well thank you so much for having me on the podcast it's really great to be with you both and be with everyone at the Israelite. i always you know read it every week usually on shabbat right because it's the one day i'm not on the computer and it's uh we'll take that we'll take that endorsement (laughs) (laughs) you didn't pay me for it uh, yeah it's always really valuable for me to hear what's going on in the community and to, you know i love the the, the yiddish column and the, the pop culture and it's really um it's always just uh kind of a part of my shabbat so i want to thank you for thank that
0: you. fantastic so again and, tell uh, us a little bit about yeah, your background. Yeah,
2: background, background yeah tell us about your background and how you found your position at the institute for southern jewish life
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from New York City. I grew up in Bronx, New York, in a neighborhood called Riverdale, um, in a in a conservative community, synagogue. I went to a Jewish day school until eighth grade, Solomon Schechter, and then after after eighth grade, I went to a public high school, a magnet school called Bronx Science. It's sort of one of these three specialized high schools in New York City, and that was where I really learned what it meant to be Jewish. Actually, being outside of the Jewish bubble and meeting people from all sorts of backgrounds. The school was 60% Asian. Oh. Uh, so I got to, to meet Muslim people for the first time. I met, you know, even people in New York City who had never really spoken to, to Jews before. And, you know, explaining to them, like, what Rosh Hashanah is, or I was, like, blowing a shofar at the extracurricular <laughs> fair, and kind of showing that off. But that was really, I think, what started me on eventually becoming a rabbi was I was explaining to my my non-Jewish friends about being Jewish, and you know, that helped me appreciate much more for myself what it meant to be Jewish. Um, and then I went, I went to Yale for college, where I also was very involved in Jewish life and in the 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 egalitarian, which was like the conservative minion there. Um, and then after college, I went a senior year of college. I should back up just a second. Um, I wanted to to look more into working in the Jewish world and. To learn what that was like and I had actually never gone to uh, the summer camp to be a counselor or anything like that so I wanted to get experience working with kids as well um, so I found on this website the jewishjobs.com it's a wonderful website if any, if any of you have you know family and working in the Jewish world and that's at jewishjobs.com and I saw this posting for a position to be a traveling Jewish educator. Huh. Or so you would travel to Jewish communities all around the South. And my, my grandmother was from Louisville, Kentucky originally. So uh-huh. I always had nice, Louisville. nice Louisville. memories. <laughs> Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: And uh, I always had nice memories of, you know, being like driving down to visit my grandparents in Florida. And, you know, it's warmer there. So I thought it could be a fun place to. To explore and also to, to build my skills in Jewish education and teaching, mm. things like that. So I applied to it, and it's a wonderful group. Uh, they brought us down. To, I remember part of the interview weekend was they took us all to karaoke, and <laughs> we all had fun, you know, fun with each other. And um, yeah, really like creative, smart, talented educators. We were. I was part of a team of nine people, and we would. Basically, travel to different Jewish communities in the, around the South and hmm. work with the education directors and the teachers on their curriculum, and you know, bring different kinds of programs and you know, fun activities, uh, education uh, to the to the schools. So, so that was basically what the position was.
2: So, I, what I understand is that the Institute for Southern Jewish Life is like a nonprofit that goes and gives supplemental and supportive help to congregations in the South that may not have a permanent rabbi. May have a visiting rabbi, may have a permanent rabbi, but need some more support because they don't have enough educators. So, when, what cities can you give us a synopsis of the right, cities right, that you visited? Right, right.
3: right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just put a comment on that. That was actually how it got started, um, was at the a URJ, Union for a summer camp called uh, Camp Jacob, which is you know, still doing very well. Um, so, it was sort of the center for regional life, uh, for Jewish life in the region. Um, but it actually has evolved to, to not only support smaller communities that don't have full-time rabbis or full-time educators, but actually Beth Deshuren in Houston, which is one of the largest conservative synagogues in the country, mm-hmm. they also use the, the ISJL Institute of Southern Jewish Life. That's the acronym is ISJL. Uh, so they actually use the ISJL education curriculum because it's very well, um, very well designed in terms of pedagogy, right? It's spiraled, which means that you revisit the same kinds of content, but at a higher level. So you'll learn about Passover in kindergarten by learning about, you know, matzah and maror and uh, parsley. And then in eighth grade, you'll learn about what does it mean to be free? Like you return to it at a higher level. Um, so the, the curriculum is really well designed and it's great for bigger communities and bigger schools because that means that all the grades kind of are on the same roadmap of, edu- of education. Some large communities in in Dallas, Dallas area, in Houston, in Atlanta, have been using the curriculum in addition to the smaller communities where it really is a lifesaver for, for, for congregations that don't have a specific educator or curriculum. I just wanted to clarify it's used in all sorts of communities, but uh, yeah, I got the chance to, to, to visit a number of different ones, some larger, some smaller. Um, I was in like, uh, Plano, Texas mm-hmm. and the Houston area. Actually there's a synagogue in Houston that has uh, a Torah scroll that went up to space
4: okay. from the you
3: know went all the little Torah that went up and that yeah. up and back uh from space and I was in uh Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, kind of Asian country, right along the coast. Um I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where they have an amazing aquarium I'm gonna yes. travel. Yes. Um I was in North Carolina, uh, really all, all across the South, Arkansas. Yeah. How about
0: Nashville?
3: Nashville. Actually, I've been there, but not through this job. A good friend of mine is a cancer <laughs> at a synagogue in Nashville. Nashville's so I went a to fun city. It. It's a fun city, yeah. Yeah. So- yeah. Okay. Well
2: what you wisp- witnessed as a challenge for southern Jews in small towns or even large towns you know your expectations about taking the position you know your subjective pre-thoughts versus what you actually experienced as a Jew in the south your objective realizations can you give us a little bit of background on that
3: Yeah thank you yeah so I'm from New York City a big <laughs> Jewish community a... and uh, it, I knew it would be different but I was surprised actually how committed Southern Jews were, right? Even people who aren't necessarily keeping kosher or observing Shabbat, that's because so many people around aren't Jewish, right? There has to this greater sense of identity and standing up for what you believe. And I, I saw that especially in Mississippi where I lived. I, I thought I had the chance to teach Hebrew school for on Wednesday afternoon, and there were like four or five boys in the class. Actually, maybe there was one girl. It was like mostly boys. And in the class, one of the boys asked, like, so what are, like, like, what do we believe about Jesus? Cause <laughs> my friends, every day they ask me, uh, you know, like, 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 do you believe in Jesus and this? And, mm-hmm. you know, I explained to him, like, we, you know, we don't, he was a, he was a wise man, but he wasn't, you know, God, he wasn't the Messiah. And he, it's something he really struggles with because his friends are in that more evangelical Christian environment and he has to, Stand up for what he believes, right? And even if he's not keeping kosher, he has, he's always thinking about his Jewish identity huh. when he's in school, um, which you don't necessarily do in New York City when so many people are Jewish. Right. 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 Um,
2: now, off the beat travel. Some of your travel experiences are there things you can recommend? I know you talked to me about a few of them: the catfish music, sculpture, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> the, so tell us some of the offbeat things that you saw on your trip and. Tell us about something that was also magnificent and breathtaking and beautiful that you saw on your travels through the South.
3: Yeah, thank you. That was one of the nice parts of the job was I would go for the weekend, like a Friday to Sunday, and I would drive for six or seven hours when I got to drive through like the Mississippi Delta or go over, you know, the the Mississippi River, driving to Louisiana. It was really beautiful scene. Uh, but, But yeah, sometimes I would stop along the way and see different places. Um, one kind of cool fact is that Mardi Gras, which we usually associate with New Orleans, the original Mardi Gras actually is from Mobile, Alabama. When I lived in, when I visited Mobile, I, I visited there three times. And it, by the way, they have a very strong Jewish community as well there. Um, they have a full-time shaliach just like we do wow. in Mobile, Alabama. Even though the community is much smaller than this one. Hmm. Um, and what I remember, I went with the always shali- shaliach to watch like they go to the Mardi Gras parade, like the original Mardi Gras parade, and they throw beads at you and everything. Um, so that's something fun to check out. You wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, Another one is in Mississippi. There are these, these cool little spots in the Mississippi Delta, which you know you may know is known for blues music.
1: Yes. Uh, but, it's blues. Also,
3: yeah, but it's also about one-third of the catfish in this country, which is not kosher, but it's a big, right. very popular. And so much of it is produced in the in the Mississippi Delta. And there's actually um, a catfish museum, and they have this <laughs> humongous sculpture of a cactus that's like maybe 100 almost as long as the football field this feels it's really big and giant cactus you can you can see
2: you know and now that people aren't flying as much these sort of driving trips are going to come back and, and popular and they're yeah. probably going to even after covid people are going to say wow it's really fun because you get to stop and see things along the way that you wouldn't normally you said there's a kermit the frog museum and yeah yeah, so it's yeah
0: is, well where's well if kermit the frogs are where's miss piggy
2: <laughs> she's probably inside the museum <laughs> she's not kosher yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's
3: a new and necessity so, so, yeah. yeah.
2: so while you were working at the institute for southern jewish life for two years was there a personal experience for you that had a profound effect on you that you still think about to this day
3: yeah that's a great question hmm yeah, there, there, there were so many, there were really so many, but I, I just had, it was such an opportunity to visit with families and we would, we would have home hospitalities. We would stay over with families and get to know them and they go to the synagogue. And I think, you know, one of them was in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, we did a program about Jewish names and we had asked the children to come in with, with their parents and to, fill out this this worksheet that said, you know, who they were named after. And we all sat in a circle and it just was so profound and and emotional to hear these parents talk about the loved ones that their their children were named after and how they hope to carry their legacies forward. And, you know, even though I, be- I had just, just met these families, they really opened up and shared these like very intimate details of their lives and their kids were right there and the kids really like, sense how important it was to their parents. parents I think that was a moment, so stick with me. All
0: right, so then we didn't talk about where you went to rabbinic school.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so after I spent two years working at the ISJL, Institute of Southern Jewish Life, I... Applied to rabbinical school at Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City.
1: JTS. And okay.
0: then you
2: also had been to Israel JTS, before yeah. this. So you you told me a story about going to Israel when you were in eighth grade um, to visit your cousins, and that that also had a profound effect. And then you, as you came back, you told me as a rabbinical school, some of these uh, effects from the south now fed into your life in Israel. You saw a whole different. You want to share with you what yeah, you shared yeah. with me? Sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I've been. I had really the fortune of having been to Israel a number of times to stay with family. And that's a whole, as I'm sure you know, it's, it's a whole different experience to be in Israel when you have family and you know people there you're really close to. Uh, but I went back for, for a full year during rabbinical school. And one of the things we did in, in JTS was we would stay in a host community where we, we went to a Masorti synagogue, which is the conservative movement. Uh, movement in Israel. Right,
1: right. So we
3: went to. A, I went up to Yokneam, which is on the north. It's about a half hour east of Haifa, and yeah, it would take about a two-hour bus ride up from Jerusalem. it felt like I was also kind of going out of the city, kind of in the more countryside. And it's a small city, and I stayed with a family that also they had the from America. And it was, it was very similar to so the kind of home hospitality I had in the South. I always knew to bring a nice host gift. And so I had a thank you card. And, um, and yeah, I even did some programming for kids and I did this ice cream Havdala program where you have like flickers for the Havdala candle and oh, you have, cute. you know, like vanilla ice cream and chocolate ice cream for the light and the dark and the separation. And yeah, I brought the same program I used in the South and it, the community felt sort of similar. You know, it was like out of the big city. But, you know, families are very committed to, to Judaism. And that was also something that really struck me in the South was how committed these families were, you know, even if they're not, you know, it's all volunteer teachers, Like right? the, the parents really just want to, um, they really just want to pass on their heritage to their children.
0: So then, so then how did you get to Cincinnati and Adith Israel?
2: Yeah, as t- a <laughs> Yeah. How did you travel so I, here?
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, so it was just a wonderful uh, match. You know, I, I interviewed with a number of communities, and this was the one that really just felt like they liked it. They
1: really yeah, fit it you.
3: Here. Yeah, and I've been here. I can't believe it's the third year already I've been out of Israel. It's,
2: a, it's amazing. It seems like just yesterday, time is flying, though. um, So between Israel and the South, let's just kind of wrap this all up. How about some restaurant suggestions? Do you have any restaurant suggestions? Because <laughs> you said that um, when you were in the South, you, you, you had to stay vegetarian. Now in Israel, you could eat probably almost everywhere. Oh, but okay. do you have any restaurant suggestions from the two places that you would like to tell us about for people that are either traveling South or traveling to Israel?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's great. So in in the South, if you're ever in New Orleans, which by the way, um, the ISJL also is helping create a new museum of the Southern Jewish experience, which is going to be in downtown New Orleans. So if you're in New Orleans, you can visit the museum and there's also actually a few kosher restaurants in New Orleans, including Kosher Cajun, which is a uh, mix of Cajun food and and kosher food, you can get the po' boy sandwich. That's totally kosher. Um, so I really enjoyed uh, visiting there in New Orleans.
2: Yeah. And in Israel, did you have any favorite restaurants? How many years were you in Israel for the rabbinical school? Just one?
3: Uh, for one year. Yeah. I mean, it's just like every, every- place. Uh, uh, it's hard to think of one in particular. But so, yeah, all, so many. Yeah, so many.
2: So what about in New York City? Do you have a famous favorite restaurant in New York where you grew up that you would like go to a lot?
3: Oh, well, speaking of hummus, is actually, um, it's called The Hummus Place. It's on 74th Street in Upper West Side. Mm -hmm. I think they have the best hummus and the best pita, too. It's like cake. It's so good. Yeah. Well, I
0: like that uh, Wolf and Lamb. Wolf and Lamb is like a fleshy place on, like,
2: Mm -hmm. I
0: don't know. It's Upper East Side.
2: Well, the first time I went to New York City, I went with my very best friend from college. Her name was Judy Katz, and she did keep kosher. She she went to Ida Crown Jewish Academy and right. she, in Chicago. So we c- could only eat kosher and we ate at Moshe Bernstein's on Essex street. I, I think it was uh, Chinese food. Oh my God. I thought I was like in heaven. It was delicious and it was kosher. Right, she was happy. Food, I was happy. Yeah. yeah. So New York is yeah. a wonderful, a wonderful place um, to, to get to eat and enjoy. And of course you've had a lot of experiences all over the South and in Israel. And now you're here in Cincinnati and, we're really fortunate to have you yes. on our show to give us yes. a little travelogue of life in the South for a Jew. Yep. Um, and a Jew from New York, yet. So, yeah. So yeah. It was, and, and also, we're so fortunate to have you here in Cincinnati at Adith Israel. You're a real treasure. And uh, we really appreciate mm-hmm. you and honored that you spent this time this afternoon with us. We want to thank you.
0: Yes, thank you.
3: Wow. So, well, thank you both so much for having me. Okay. We really
2: appreciate it, Rabbi. And we'll, we'll figure we'll, out another topic right, to bring, we'll you bring you on again. Back on. We'll yeah, bring
3: him back this on. This was wonderful.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing with us. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the day.
3: Of course. You too. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye, Rabbi. Bye-bye.
1: We're
2: Welcome back. back. Well, it was a wonderful interview of both I- about Israel and Southern Jewish life from Rabbi Benjamin Scheidel, the associate rabbi. I, did, at, at I didn't
0: Israel. know he was a Yale. Yeah. Bula, oh, bula, 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 bula. Isn't that their fight song? I
2: don't know. I didn't bula, go to bula, Yale. Bula. But I can <laughs> tell you he's articulate and quite brilliant. And yes, he's
0: very <laughs> bright. He went, he went to Yale, yes. He's, he's a very bright guy. Okay. Anyway, so in the beginning, 1854, the, sin- the Israelitist Institutions of Cincinnati by Samuel Bruhl continued. The hospital, among the very many charitable Jewish institutions established in Cincinnati, the present hospital is the most important, affording as it does an asylum for the destitute and the sick of our community.
2: So that was July 21st, 1854.
0: I, I wonder if that was before the Jewish hospital was begun or started.
2: Maybe. You
0: need to look into that. We'll
2: have to look, and we're going to ask Carol to get a... Get some information on that. Now I'm going to read the column, the ladies' yes, column. This, for I, I
0: just read this, and it's actually so I, we want to tell people if, if you're, if we should probably change that word. Well, but we movie.
2: need to be specific. No, it was the you, word don't. That was you can you just
0: say fill in the blank.
2: Well, they're not going to know what the word is. Well,
0: there might be children listening. Okay, okay. okay. I know, I know. You're always pushing the envelope, but uh, you know. <laughs> Think about the children, your children. Okay, well,
2: I'll, I'll, come, I'll let people figure out yes. who are adults, what this word might be, because yes. I don't know why, how, why they use that choice of word, but yes. maybe back then, 125 years ago, that word meant something else. I think
0: it probably did, yes. Yes, yes, yes okay. Right. So go ahead.
2: Ladies column. I went into a prominent store the other day for a pair of satin corsets. Will you have the ordinary hooks and eyelets, asked the saleswoman. Have you something extraordinary?
0: No, she says, have you you something something extraordinary.
2: extraordinary. To be sure we have, she answered, we have them in plain, gold, and jeweled. What? I.
0: Exclaimed.
2: Right, but that's not the word that was used. No,
0: but you have to read the paper to find out what their actual word is. Yes. (laughs) It's actually quite disgusting.
2: Well, I don't know why they would (laughs) pick that word because that's ex- Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> in much ex- amazement, getting in a good weight of exclamation points. So I don't know. I don't know what this. Okay, but anyway, she laughed. Well, at my because
0: ast- she had to go back. We have them in plain, gold, and jeweled, and she just went freaks out like, "Oh my goodness!" Okay, all right, go on.
2: <laughs> she laughed at my astonishment and produced the <laughs> articles announced. They were broad gold hooks to hold the skirts below the belt line, plain at $5 and jeweled from $27.50 up to $35 that's, each.
0: That's that's a lot of
1: money,
2: money back, back then. then. Yeah. There were front steels with gold clips at $15 per pair and a set of gold eyelets for the lacings at $30 per set. So you remember a corset was those things that they tied up and pulled real tight. So
0: that you were skinny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: I think they are barbaric, I said. Jeweled corsets, are they respectable? <laughs> Why, of course they are, she laughed. Our first order came from a very wealthy woman, a prominent divorcee, about to remarry. The orders flocked in from friends of hers, and now we carry them in stock. Well, gasped Molly, who had accompanied me, if I had such a corset, I should surely rip off the jeweled hook and sew it to my bodice to hang a watch or spectacles or my opera ticket on. <laughs> that was February 6, 1896. And if you want to know what we're laughing about, you're going to have to go online and read it. Yes. It's <laughs> or, or in the paper.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. So 100 years ago, I'll read this one. It is interesting to note that Cincinnati stands foremost among the cities of the country and welfare in country welfare work for the deaf, and it is particularly interesting for readers of the Israelite to know that much of this work originated and is carried on among the Jewish deaf of the city. Helen Keller is a living example of what a human being can make of life with every possible handicap, and it's because of the wonderful lesson her life teaches that the Committee on the Welfare of the Deaf, of which Mrs. Siegfried Geismar, is chairman, has arranged to bring the motion picture of her life to the city. This very remarkable film in which Helen Keller is a chief actress will be presented at the Forest Theater, Avondale, on February 9, under the auspices of the Council of Jewish Women. This picture has been shown in various parts of the country and is described as being most thrilling from a dramatic point of view and most worthwhile from an educational viewpoint. Well,
2: yeah, very interesting. Hmm. So 75 years ago, it says, Mom, I'm home, said, private first-class Edwin Manberg as he walked into the American Beneficial Society meeting January 22nd at the Bureau of Jewish Education where his mother, Mrs. L. Manberg, was elected to her fourth successive term as the auxiliary president. He was home after two years overseas. So let me tell you, I had a wonderful discussion with Edwin Manberg's daughter, Alyssa, and Unfortunately, he had he passed away March twentieth uh, oh. of this past year at ninety six years old, okay. and he has a tremendous legacy. As does his mother, Mrs. L. Manberg, who is really Sophia Manberg, who was a a great contributor to the Cincinnati Jewish community.
0: Well, wait a minute. If it's L. It's oh, Louis is f- her husband. Lu- uh, Louis it's Louis, me. Yeah. Okay, okay.
1: So
2: Edward, or Eddie as he was called, right. was the son of Louis and Sophia Manberg. And Sophia arrived in the United States at two years old. She was one of eight children that came from Riga, Latvia. And Louis, his father, came in the United States at 14 years old from Mongolia, Russia. Mm. And um, he Mongolia. was also... At Mongolia. W- I don't know. Um, So he was one of eight, and they met in Cleveland where they lived, and they came to Cincinnati most likely for work. Lewis was a tailor. (laughs) And they had met in Cleveland at a dance, Lewis and Sophia, and she said, Sophia told her children that she looked across the room and saw the most handsome man, and they married, and they moved down to Cincinnati. Um, Edwin was they had Edwin and they had a daughter Bernice who they called Bunny and it's I guess the funny story is that when Bunny went to kindergarten they were calling Bernice 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 she didn't know her name because they only had called her <laughs> Bunny her whole life <laughs> but Edwin was um their son and he was involved in the Young Judea of Cincinnati and he graduated from Hughes High School hmm. Um, And then he went on to OSU, where he was in the enlisted reserves. At one point, he was called up to serve on duty, and he was sent to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, in the spring of 1943. Um, He served in the 87th Infantry Division, the Golden Acorns, the 345th Division, 3rd Headquarters. He spent three years and a total of 18 months in Europe. Um, He participated in the Battle of the Bulge, and at one point during the battle, the radio man had been shot and killed. And Edwin ran out, Eddie ran out, and he grabbed the radio, and he was able to transmit story, what was going on, to the rest of the troops. He saved a lot of life. So unfortunately, he did get injured. He got shot in the hand during the Battle mm. of the Bulge, um, but it didn't cause you know, a lifetime of struggle. In the meantime, he did return, and he went back to your OSU, and he finished up. He was part of a fraternity. And it was called the Mu Kai and, and he also was part of Hillel. And when he graduated on June second, 1947, he received a key from both the Mu Kai Society and Hillel. Now, according to his daughter, Alyssa, he was very, very tall, thin, with hazel eyes, and quite handsome. He was quite the looker. And after graduating, he sold shoes, and he moved to Midi- Indianapolis, where he met Beverly Hassel. And she was also a, a very interesting woman. She had graduated from the University of, Mil- of Wisconsin, in occupational therapy, and she was a very independent woman, and she moved on her own to Indiana to get a job. And they went on a blind date, and they were engaged on May twenty seventh, 1958, and they got married on September 5th. Um, they got married, and they both continued to work, and he continued in the shoe and leather business. And at one point, they ended up moving to Boston, mm. and they lived in the Wellesley neighborhood. Their parents, Edwin and so, and his wife, Beverly, were part of the founding members of Temple beth El. Um, he was a president of either the congregation or the brotherhood. And they and I guess in this community, there was times when Jews were not invited to live in the community, but there had been a developer who was quite sharp, and he started building homes in the Wellesley uh, city. And how he got Jewish families to move in was he had his father sit on the steps and read the forward. And when Jewish families would come in to look at the houses and they'd see the forward, they would make a comment, and the developer would know that this was a Jewish family's Jewish family that was looking at the house, and he would sell them the house. Um, I guess later this was supposed to be a private story, but it ended up coming out in the Temple Bulletin. In his spare time, Edwin was a model shipbuilder, and in fact he donated a number of his ships to PBS for sales. And um, unfortunately, Beverly died quite young at 66, oh. and it was in 1991. And they had been planning on moving into an independent living facility right. um, so he went on and he moved there himself and he was quite popular very personable and very well received in the community of this independent living in fact they called him the mayor um, at one point he was interviewed by the Boston Globe and he talked about <laughs> living in this community remember how last week I said that the anthology of Blue Ash sounded like it was a cruise Oh,
1: oh, oh he oh. actually
2: described this huh. uh, community as being on a cruise ship without being seasick so his surviving children are Bill, Rick, and Alyssa. He has six grandchildren and two great-grandchildrens. And um, unfortunately, it would have been if we had done this a year ago, we would have been able to talk to him personally. But I had a wonderful conversation with his daughter Alyssa, and he was a well-loved son, husband, and father, and his, may his memory be a blessing. So I want to thank them for sharing that short story with us. And at this point, we're going to take a small break again because we have a second interview. Okay, we're back again, and we have with us Hilary Kenner-Rigelman, the Director of National Outreach for Emory University's JSCREEN program, and we're really honored to have her. To begin with, this is the Jewish Genetic Screening Awareness Week. So I want to know, is this national or international Jewish Genetic right, Screening right, Awareness right. Week? So
4: Jewish Genetic Screening Awareness Week is a national day that we are celebrating, uh, well, actually a national week that we're celebrating all week, including today by offering education and promotion and just really doing community awareness around the importance of screening for Jewish genetic diseases.
2: And can you just tell us a little bit of background of what JSCREEN what, what is? What, and what's your mission at JSCREEN? Of
4: course. So really, JSCREEN is a national nonprofit initiative. And we've um, been around since 2013 with a goal of offering community education and also providing access from a country 24-7 for Jewish genetic diseases. Um, so that includes our reproductive panel as well as a cancer genetic testing panel.
2: And how did you get involved in JSCREAM? What's your background and what led you to
4: JSCREAM? That's a great question. Uh, you know, it's always good to follow your dreams and do a job that you're passionate about. And after being pre-med for quite some time, um, I actually ended up going to business school, so I was really looking for something to combine both of my passions, and when I heard that Emory University was starting up a public health initiative based on just that, you know, combining everything I do with marketing and outreach for the program, as well as my passion for um, medicine, this was the best of both worlds. And it's the most fulfilling job I could have ever imagined. I mean, there's no better feeling, especially in the past seven years that I've been with the program, that people send photos of their healthy babies, and they're so grateful for this service. Um, so it warms my heart to see that we're actually making a difference in every single person or couple that we're testing.
2: No, I read the J-Screen literature, but would you help please, like, educate our listeners on, other than Tay-Sachs and the Brock gene mutation... What other diseases do Jews need to be aware of that are dominant within our population?
4: Yeah, so many people are familiar with TASAC disease, as you just mentioned, because it's been around for so long. Ever since the 1970s, the Jewish community has been very focused on testing for TASAC. But since then, so much more research has gone into uh, finding more genetic mutations and these different conditions. So now our panel is actually up to 226 diseases. Wow. And that's just on the reproductive panel. So that doesn't even include the BRCA or the BRCA gene on our cancer panel, which is over 60 cancer susceptibility genes. So on the one for reproductive, um, I like to say there's something for everyone, because this <laughs> is no longer, you know, just for Ashkenazi Jews. It really does affect anyone of Jewish ancestry. So if you're Ashkenazi, Sardin, Rossi, um, there are diseases that are particular to your background, um, as well as just general population diseases. Uh, in, if someone is adopted or converted or in an interfaith couple, whatever the you know the case might be, everyone really should be getting tested. And even for these quote unquote Jewish ones that are more common in people with Jewish ancestry even having just one Jewish grandparent can put you at higher risk to carry those.
0: So one, I guess several of the major ones are like Crohn's disease and, um, Gaucher's disease, which Gaucher's disease runs in my family. Are there any other major, uh, ones that we've kind of heard about?
4: So, Crohn's disease actually is not something on our panel. While there might be a hereditary component to that, it's not um, a recessive disease that um, that we would be testing for. So that's a different. Although it is very common in Ashkenazi Jews, right. and we're asked that quite often. So, but you're exactly right. This is Gaucher disease, which is the most common Jewish genetic disease. About one in ten to one in twelve people of Ashkenazi descent are carriers. But again, it's seen in everybody, but it is at higher prevalence in Ashkenazi Jews. Um, But one that's common in the Persian community is hereditary inclusion body myopathy, Um, cystic fibrosis. It's just as common in Ashkenazi Jews Uh as it is in Caucasian Uh non-Jews. So the list is really robust. Um, that again, there's over 200, which can all be found on our website at JSCREEN.org. And the ones that are highlighted in bold are the ones that are more common in people with Jewish backgrounds. And the rest are just the general population of So So um, how
2: does someone utilize JSCREEN? What do they do?
4: So really a huge part of our mission was to make this accessible Affordable and just as easy as possible to do, right? Because we want someone to, who wants to get screened to be able to access it regardless of where in the United States that they live. And we're really, um, pandemic friendly in that our testing model has always been an at home model. So it's as though we were built for this, um, you know, socially distant time. So anyone who wants to get screened just goes to our website at gayscreen.org and clicks request a kit. At that point, you can denote whether you want the reproductive test. So if you're 18 to 45 and planning on starting a family in the future or expanding your family, then that's really the test, you know, that you, you must be doing. It's essential before family planning. We also have the option to do, as I mentioned, the cancer genetic test. And that's what includes the BRCA, the BRCA. And that is anyone who's over 21. Can access that so there's no age range on that um you can select both you can select either or they're both the same process of registering on the website um once you provide your information our genetic counselors will be looking at over everything on the back end and your kit will be mailed directly to your home um at that point you'll provide a saliva sample so not even a blood draw is needed we couldn't get any better than that right And, and there's Prepaid postage, making it super simple. So um, FedEx will even come to your house to pick it up. And in a few weeks, about two to three weeks, one of our genetic counselors will be reaching out to schedule a telehealth genetic counseling session. And this is so essential to the process, the fact that a genetic counselor, a medical professional is involved in, in your testing process, but also in the deliverance of the results. And um, at that point, they'll answer any questions, they'll talk about the disease that you're a carrier of and what it means. Um, And if there is a carrier couple, meaning they're both a carrier of the same disease, that means their risk is elevated to potentially have a child affected with that disease that they both carry. And they'll discuss options, um, you know, for starting a family, and they can also refer you to someone locally in your area for next steps. But that's really the process. And in terms of price, thanks to our uh, generous donors, we're able to keep it very affordable. Um, so this testing out of pocket, if someone were to go to their doctor's office, perhaps, their genetic clinic, it could be really expensive. We do have financial aid available because um, we do not want cost to be a barrier and a reason that someone's not going to undergo genetic screening.
2: So um, in terms of – okay, so you already mentioned a little bit about this. So a funny side story is like when my son – both of my sons married women who converted, and now one of my sons turned to his wife, and he said – well, now you're gonna start having stomach problems because all Jews have stomach
1: problems. <laughs> of but. course, of course, don't we all?
2: Um, you know, so we're all aware of the different definition of what is a Jew. For J Screen, what defines your Jew? So say someone is either adopted but was raised by Jewish people but then is marrying into the Jewish faith, someone who is marrying someone who's converted, what you know, how do you how do you qualify to get this this test that's inexpensive for Jews versus normal prices and, and be considered a Jew, how do you do that? What do you have to
4: have? Yeah, so we really market widely to the Jewish community, but anyone is welcome to use our service. We're very inclusive and never would turn someone away. Um, the reason we're called JScreen screen is that many of the diseases, about half on our panel, are more common in those with Jewish ancestry. But we use something called a pan-ethnic panel. So it's really relevant to anyone, okay. regardless of background. So if someone converted, they definitely should be, you know, doing our test, especially if they're married to someone Jewish. So it's really for everyone. We don't define what a Jew is. We do ask in our registration, you know, if you are aware of any Jewish ancestry and how many of your grandparents were Jewish um, in terms of Ashkenazi, Mizrahi, and Spardi. We just want to make sure that they know, you know, what we're testing for, what we're accessing, Um, and just to have that information on them. But if they don't know, they're still getting the same panel. So a lot of people think like, oh, if I'm not sure my background, like, am I going to be tested for the right diseases? And the answer is yes, everyone will be receiving the 226 disease panel that we currently offer. Well, that's,
2: that's nice to know. So um, in terms of this test, So I actually mentioned it to my daughter, who said, yes, I went through J-Screen. J's and so I said to her today, so, like, tell me what – so she said a friend of hers recommended J-Screen J's and told her how much it was – you know, the price was way different than what she would have to do if she was going through her doctor. And she also now recommends it when she has a Jewish patient that wants to do genetic testing. She, but I'll tell her now that you don't have to actually be Jewish as long as you have some – you know, you feel a Jewish connection, that's why it's JScreen. J's – Um, so I will make sure I get it.
4: And that's great. And we really rely, first of all, word of mouth is the best because if a friend tells a friend, that's how people find out. And this is such an important test that telling your friends, telling your family members, it's a huge mitzvah. And also, and then you mentioned the doctor component. We've been trying to work with more and more primary care doctors as well as OBGYN to tell their patients, Hey, this is out there. Because not only are we often much more affordable than in the doctor's office, but we often have access to a broader panel that they uh, offer. So some doctors do have access to a full panel, but some are still using an outdated panel of nine or 10 diseases. Um, so people are getting a really limited test. Um, and especially the physicians love that we offer the genetic counseling component. And everyone's personal physician will get a copy of their results as well. So in case you misplace them or whatever the case might be, it's already in your chart, which is great. And I know we're talking a lot about women getting tested, but of course, this is for men and women, especially for the reproductive portion. Um, both members of the couple need to be a carrier of the same thing to be at risk for passing it on. But some people choose to get screened when they're still single. Others choose to get screened when they're in the dating process. Others choose to before an engagement, and others say, you know, we're going to get married no matter what, but um, we're going to get screened, and then, you know, and then we'll discuss our options. Right. So it's really a personal choice. So
2: when I got married, we did the blood test for Tay sex. That was yep. what every Jewish couple did. That, and now there's a lot more choices and a lot more things we can learn about each other before we get married. And you also told me that you work with the Jewish Fertility Foundation, that this is part of their program is to have everyone J-screened before they go through fertility.
4: Yeah, they make it mandatory um, to get tested if you're getting a grant through them, which is so ideal because, right, that's the time you should be getting screened. It was – J-screen is step one, and then if you are having fertility issues, then you really – you need to know if you are a carrier couple. So this way, after you go through that long, like, arduous process to conceive – you're making sure that you're conceiving a baby free of those genetic diseases, you know, and that you're not passing something on, especially when it's taken, you know, such a long journey to to get to that pregnancy. Um, so they're a great partner, and I know they were on um, a few weeks ago. And I just, first of all, thank you to this podcast for shedding light on such important topics and services for our community um because it's showing all the steps to family planning so JScreen, screen the jewish fertility foundation right just because you do JScreen screen doesn't guarantee that you're going to have an easy time getting pregnant but it's important to have that information because knowledge is power and dna is invisible so you have no idea what's actually inside of you right carriers are healthy we don't have symptoms and um That's the point of J-Screen, to let you know what you're a healthy carrier of.
2: Well, it was really, really nice to get to know you. I also read in your bio that you're a published author. So what did you publish?
4: I am. I wrote a book called Fingerology. It's a compendium of the hand and the fingers. So (laughs) discussing wrong-sided surgery. Very. It was a fun project.
2: Oh, this sounds fun. (laughs) Is there any last-minute items that you'd like to share about J-Screen that we didn't hit on?
4: I just urge everyone to go to org. whether it's for you or a loved one share the information it's a huge mitzvah and together we really do have the power to save lives
2: Yeah and you know it could be a great gift for the person who has everything
4: Exactly
2: <laughs> And and as I said you did you helped my children uh they did the Screen, so, so that's really wonderful and um and thank you very much. And we're really honored that you spent some time with us this afternoon to tell us about J-Screen. And we hope we will continue this relationship in, and get to speak with you again one day soon.
4: Definitely. Thanks for having okay. me. Stay thank well. You. Thank, thank you, you so
2: much. Bye-bye, Hillary.
4: Of course. Bye.
2: Well, that was a lot of fun to learn about J-Screen. <laughs> and... Um, and as I said, we wouldn't have had the the potential Mashiach if we hadn't had some J-screening going on.
0: Well, one question that I wanted to ask was, and maybe we can have a circle back on this, is let's say a couple, you know, doesn't get, you know, they're going to get married or they do get married and then they do the J-screen and they find out that they're both a carrier of. Something horrible. What do you do then?
2: Well, that's why they provide the genetic counseling immediately for you.
0: And I, and I know, but it's basically to say you know, genetic counselors effed, are like. So you're
2: going to have to figure out maybe if you're going to adopt or something, yeah. It's yeah,
0: so, really But wouldn't you rather sad. know that
2: than later or do you think it's better to get married and then find that out, you know? I don't know.
0: That's, that's a very good philosophical question. It is. And, and I think that And what would a rabbi put, say? What do you exactly, think? Exactly. We should put that to the audience because yeah. if you get in that situation, what do you do? That and, would be, and, you know, and, if we
2: could have a, maybe once in a while we should bring a rabbi on and ask him, this would be one of the questions that we could ask. Like, what What should a couple do when they find this out beforehand?
0: Exactly, exactly. You know, and but it, will
2: love overcome or will the fact that they won't be able to have a genetically identical family
0: um, well, well, we need to. That's that's a very good a moral ethical issue. moral question. Okay. Okay. So uh, anyway, we are back c- to from the pages. Run
2: the pages. So 50 years ago, tell us what you want to. Right.
0: Talk. So uh, 50 years ago, Mr. and Mrs. Robert V. Garvin of 4415 Paddock Hills Lane announced the forthcoming bar mitzvah of their son Andrew Garvin Saturday, February 13 at 10:45 a.m. at Wise Temple, Reading Road, and North Crescent, and that's when it was back. That was fifty. That was when there was was back at Reading Road and North Crescent. Yeah,
2: it's
0: a long time ago.
2: Of course, I wasn't here then, but um,
0: That was fifty years. Yeah, you were only thirty-four. So uh, fifty years ago, twenty-five years ago. Sorry, twenty-five years ago.
2: Twenty-five years ago, Dr. David Weisberger, and that is the uh, doc, Dr. W- David Weisberg. That's the husband, the late husband of Ofer Weisberg from yeah. Yavna Rockworn. And I believe she just, she actually well, He just was at re- HUC. He was at HUC right, and she just Rock- retired. Right, she just yeah. retired. I got a, you know, on a little note from uh, Rockworn. But uh, that was her husband. He was a professor of Bible and Semitic languages at the Cincinnati campus of Hebrew Union College. Wonder, May his, wonderful man. Yeah. And she's a wonderful woman. May <laughs> she,
0: she is. She's very nice. May his memory be a blessing. Right. And
2: then 10 years ago, we went back, we had talked about this earlier <laughs> on. We first about the black leather clad bikers that were terrorizing small <laughs> towns in southwestern Ohio, the, the motor menches, the motor
0: We You should read cycle. the whole thing. The so whole thing. black
2: leather clad bikers terrorize small towns in southwestern Ohio is the question.
0: question? Mark, question
2: mark. Not if you're talking about Cincinnati's newly chartered Jewish motorcycle club, the Motorcycle Menches. The motorcycle menches can be found eating noodle kugel or salami and eggs at Rascal's Delicatessen every Sunday morning. Remember Rascal's? That was yes, a yeah. yes. Yes. Uh, we're a very sociable group of guys and gals, motorcyclists and scooterists, who make the cold more bearable by meeting weekly to swap stories, tell lies, ride, plan rides for as soon as the snow melts. Says co-organizer Bruce Enche.:
0: mm.
2: So that's cute. That very, really very is. cute. It's
0: a very nice article
2: all right so uh so jews in the news well, now, this you week is ta- super bowl this sunday. is super
0: bowl this sunday coming up is super bowl sunday and we so. do
2: have an mot a member of the tribe that will be playing in the super bowl his name is alexander ali marpet and he is definitely 100 jewish both of his parents are jewish he grew up in the new york area but they all live in florida now he's part of the tampa bay buccaneers right um and he is actually a very well-loved football player what does
0: he what position does he play
2: that's doesn't say a, what
0: doesn't say what position he oh he's a left guard. Okay. Well left I don't
2: guard. I don't know football. Well, I, I, left guard. He's yeah.
0: a left guard. He's the guy right next to the guy I, I'm more interested hiking in... the football, the, so, the center.
2: So anyway, I found a picture of him. The guy is enormous. Right.
0: Those are usually some pretty big He's dudes. like
2: three hundred pounds. Yeah, he's a big, towering, big, big towering big young big,
0: man. Big big fellow.
2: He's uh, 28 years old. He went on birthright. There's a couple of pictures of him on the Internet sitting on a camel. The poor camel must be suffering. <laughs> that poor camel. Um, he, and he, I've read some articles about him. He doesn't like to wear pants. He only likes to wear shorts, and it's very hard for you know, dress-up really days. You,
0: you know, when I'm out and about, it's just all the time. I'm always out and about. But I go to stores, or I'll go to, like, the Home Depot or Lowe's, you know, because I'm always fixing stuff and buying stuff and doing things. And I'll see people walking around in shorts.
2: Yeah, there's some and it's people like, that are right pro-
0: now it's like 30 degrees out. I'm like, what the heck? Well, is- there's
2: some people that are just always hot.
0: They're well, just how hot. can you wear shorts in the winter time? Your They're feet hot. and your legs have got to be freezing. <laughs> and then, and then I'll go to some other places, maybe even Costco once in a while or Target, and I'll see people in the middle of winter wearing sandals. Yeah. It, did, 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 have you seen those this? are people
2: with sore you, feet and, and swollen feet yes i've seen have that with seen so, yeah, like, socks and
0: sandals uh, i was i'm like interested to maybe go up to do you have like a well, the like, hippies
2: like to wear the woolly woolly socks with you know the no I have, Israeli, wool, I have wool yeah,
0: yeah, i have yeah. wool socks and winter boots on in the wintertime. It's winter. Yeah. My feet are cold. Well,
2: also, Jews in the news, you know, Daniel Levy, um, who's 37, who's on Schitt's Creek. He's the son in Schitt's Creek where he plays with his... I've he,
0: never seen... Oh, Barry and
2: it. I are into the series. We just got into the series, and we just finished the first season. And it's very, very funny. It's about this very wealthy family. Hmm. The mother is an actress, the father is a businessman, and they lose their home and they lose everything. But uh-huh. they end up owning... They find out that they, he had bought, on a whim, this town called Schitt's Creek. And he gets out to this small town, and they're living in a hotel. It's a daughter... Uh-huh. Um, and then his real daughter plays the the waitress at the local cafe. Okay. His real daughter, but okay. Dan Daniel Levy is the son of Eugene, and he plays the son in the show. And then it's Maureen I think it's Maureen O'Connor is the wife, okay. and she's supposedly an actress. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's hysterical. They're only like thirty minute slots. It's on Netflix, but he's actually going to be the host this weekend on Saturday Night Live. So okay. he's a very very funny <coughs> kid. Very funny.
0: So. Make sure you turn into the tune into the Super. We should pr- actually have like a uh, a critique next of week the of c- of the commercial. commercials. I love the commercials. I mean, you you just have to watch this commercials. They're just so funny. Yeah, that's and the best part they for really, me. A lot of them. Are, and I
2: remember yeah. the one year when we they had that wardrobe failure where the guy pulled off in her little. That boobies.
0: was that was. Uh, that was Jackson. Uh, right. That was Janet Jackson. Well, so uh, that was Timber- Justin Timberlake. Well, i got to
2: tell you, that was when my son, Lauren, was in high school, and he, a bunch of his buddies were over watching the football game. And I remember I'd gone upstairs for one second, and I hear this screaming coming down from the family room because oh, they, they got to see right. the booby.
0: Right. Oh, my. Oi. Oi. Oi.
2: That flashed.
0: All right. So um, we also... We have number Part six of
2: Hatred in Plain Sight, which is right. your Smithsonian article that you're very fond of.
0: Right. And then that will be ending next week. And I was actually thinking about maybe putting on the front page next week to end with, with the photo and then the ending of it. Um, and then, because that'll draw attention to that is the last part, and then people should go back and read the whole thing. It's, a, it's fascinating. So fascinating. Laurie Kleiner Eckert right. has a
2: good, right, Laurie Kleiner Eckert has a very good article this weekend about yes. parents and teens kind of yes. separating very out. And, and then um, right. Marianne Bettman-Brown talks about arming teachers, which is very appropriate in this age right. of, of guns and laws. And then Cheryl Parkrose is right. talking about a young adult novel. So right. these right. are all about school children. You know, one's the teenager, mm-hmm. one's talking about arming teachers at schools, and then there's a young adult novel. So it all kind of works together.
0: Yes, and then we get to the deaths and the death notice and the obituaries.
2: And there's a large one about Malcolm Stern. Malcolm Stern, who was yes. an executive at US Shoe for many, many, many years. Yeah. May his memory be a blessing.
0: I think um, now there were I grew up with a guy named Mitchell Stern, who who, who was his son, I believe. Right, his late who passed son. Passed yeah. away. Yep, yep. And he was in my class at Wanted Hills. Um, yeah. So I didn't. I and I, I when I read that, I was like, "This really touches home." I knew a Mitchell Stern growing up, um, and I didn't know he passed away. I have to actually look into that. We should look into that because um, he. I I knew him from Walnut Hills. He was one of the Jewish guys that I you know would hang out with. Yeah. So death so, notice. So this
2: week it's actually yeah. a very sad week. Amy Louise Perlman uh, has passed away, uh, age sixty, on February first, twenty twenty one. The nineteenth of 5781. fifty-seven, eighty-one. So I knew Amy. she was one of um she was a co-mom over at Yavna Rockworn. Okay, okay. Um she had Sarah, right. Becca and Mia. Sarah's married to Colin now and her husband is okay. Scott. Very, very involved with Hadassah. You could okay. see her at every in fact I went to an event with our friend Pam Sakes
1: okay.
2: once in the winter to her house and I it was a, a fun event and uh she's gonna be sorely missed. She was a brilliant woman, she was a kind woman, she was uh, she offered a lot to our community, and uh, she's going to be just sorely missed in so man.
0: it really kind of, I just had this kind of this feeling, yeah. you know, this, this heaviness, sadness. this hat, the sadness. Well, it's been sad the last couple of weeks we've had people that we know closely die. Right, right. And it's been kind of a tough winter. It's yep. been a tough winter. So um, Alan Herbert Neumann, uh, age 80, January 29, 2021, 16 Shabbat 5781 and he is the older brother of our accountant uh Larry Neumann who uh um, who I
2: spoke with many times when I was the bookkeeper and I've
0: been I've known Larry for oh at least maybe 20 25 years um and this was his older brother and uh he said he'd been sick for a while and I talked to him yesterday and I just it, it's sad I mean and, it, you know it's sad when it hits so close to home with everybody yep
2: Bernard Tepper, age ninety five, January twenty seventh, twenty twenty one, the fourteenth of 57, fifty seven eighty
0: one. Uh, Harvey Reese, age eighty four, January eleven, twenty twenty one, twenty seven 57, fifty seven eighty one. And I want to say uh, to the family of Harvey, Harvey owned Bilkers. That's what you said. And everybody knew Bill. Everybody went to Bilkers, and um, so Harvey actually gave me one of my first jobs. Oh, yeah, um, I was a stock boy at uh, this is on the original one in Reading Road, right, kind of right across from Alma's Kitchen, and
2: um, that was still there when I moved in.
0: I was a stock boy, and I worked with, uh, and he gave me a job. You know, I mean, I applied, and Harvey hired me. So I was like fifteen or sixteen years old. I mean, well, you, you know, got
2: your business sense, I think.
0: Uh, well, I didn't know anything back then, <laughs> um, but he gave me a job, and yeah. so it, you know, it, it kind of hits home. You know, it gets you right kind of in the in the Kishkies. Yeah. So, and I, mean, I that's a, yeah. I worked with uh, Donnie Dell that's was my was. boss. He <laughs> was like my the head of the stock boys, and uh, I remember we I'd come into work and they'd be they had a kitchen behind the deli and he they'd be boiling uh, in big vats these corn these briskets. And they would throw you know, corn in there. They would have, you know, corn, actual ears of corn oh. and I was like, I never knew that's how they made it. That's how they made corned beef brisket.
1: Oh. So they would
0: boil it up and then they'd, you know, dry it, you know, let it, you know I didn't cool know that. Yeah. And they'd huh. let it cool off and then uh, you know, and then they'd
2: slice it. I learned so much being at the Israelite. Yeah.
0: But, uh, and, and, you know, pepper and pastrami and stuff. And they would make it in this kitchen right behind the deli. So,
2: corned beef means it's actually got the corn in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, it was really,
0: it was like, I never knew that. But so, I mean, I would get food there, too, when I was working there and, uh. It was a lot of. I mean, I had a great time. It was a great high school job. Great high school job. So
2: before you get to the joke of the week, I want to also let everyone know there's the coupons in the back this week too for breads over at Breadsmith, and of course, rhinos, which we love that ice cream.
0: Yes, and don't uh, frozen yogurt.
2: Yes, frozen yogurt.
0: So actually, this joke is actually pretty funny, and I read it the other day. Carol brought it to me, and it's actually pretty funny. Um, I actually like this one. So, are you ready?
2: Who wrote it? Okay, so this
0: is from the Encyclopedia of Jewish Humor from Biblical Times to the Modern Age, compiled and edited by Henry D. Spaulding. All right. A young man boarded a train bound for Odessa and sat down beside a prosperous-looking passenger. Can you tell me the time, sir, he asked. The young man asked, attempting to strike up a conversation. The stranger glanced at him contemptuously. Drop dead, he snapped. What is wrong with you? The young man exploded indignantly. I ask you politely what time it is, and you answer me so rudely. What's the idea? The older passenger made as as if to ignore him. Then, sighing, he turned and said, all right, so I'll tell you. First, you ask me a question. I'm supposed to answer yes, question mark. Okay, so I tell you the time. Then you start up with discussions about the weather, about politics, about business. Soon we discover that we're both Jews. So what happens, question mark? I live in Odessa, but you're a stranger there, and it's Friday afternoon. So I must invite you... For, so it's a, you know where this is leading. Yeah. So I must invite you for Shabbos dinner in my home. You meet Sophie, my beautiful daughter, and after a few more, time, few more visits, you both fall in love. After all... I admit you are a rather handsome young fellow. Finally, you ask my blessings that you and sophie Sophie can get married. so why not avoid th- this whole this whole big McGilla? Mish- I can tell you right now, young man, I positively refuse to let my daughter marry anyone who can't even afford to own a watch. Oh
1: <laughs>
2: that is good. <laughs>
0: All right. So we had a couple of interviews today. We did the news. We had a lot. When I bought a new car, we
2: bought a new car, Mazel Tough Mazel Tough. We'll see that uh, next you drive week. It safely.
0: Yes, and in good health. Yes. And you'll see that next uh, next probably week, parked out in the parking lot, our delightful abode here.
2: And next week, let's hope we have another great interview. Something that has to do with summer and fun and excursions and camps. Well, summer,
0: kids in summer camp, right? Yep. right? 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 All right. So we're gonna call it a day
2: anyway to
0: thanks for thanks for inviting us into your your listening pleasure in your home or your car or where you're jogging or walking <laughs> along the track at the JCC or wherever you're and if you have something
2: interesting to share with us let us know and yeah. we'll make time for you on our podcast
0: let us know Julie is available I'm available um, and uh, we will bring you on the program
2: anyway enjoy your week
0: thanks everybody bye 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 bye